Hello and welcome to the Kitchen Conversations podcast. My name is Patricia Rosvora and I'm the host of this platform where we speak about contemporary art from so-called Eastern Europe. In each episode, you're going to be introduced to one artist or researcher whose visual or activist practice sheds light onto the complex former socialist region with all its histories, cultures, languages, foods, but also traumas and their inevitable contemporary consequences. The podcast is a fully independent platform existing since May 2020. If you enjoy the monthly conversations, you can support me via Patreon or share the episode with your friends or via social channels. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Kitchen Conversations. My today's guest, uh, Misha Badassian, uh, is a former Berliner, and this is how we met. We met through his uh, cooking uh, food activist collective, Political Kitchen, who were part of my book launch, uh, the Kitchen Conversations cookbook that I published uh, last year. Uh, that time, uh, Misha was in Armenia and couldn't uh, join the launch. And in fact, we never met in person, uh, but I was following his work for a long time. I uh, really admire his practice as an artist, as an activist, uh, working a lot uh, with food and various uh, social issues, uh, sociopolitical uh, topics, uh, a lot as well connected to his home, Armenia. He will introduce himself very thoroughly uh, to you, so I will uh, leave it to him. But without further ado, uh, I wanted to first listen to his artist manifesto and then you will uh, hear also uh, Misha's voice and continue to our conversation. Enjoy. Manifest of a living artist. I'm not an artist. I don't have a talent. I'm a total mediocrity. I don't know any muses. I never paint. I cannot dance. I cannot sing. I don't know compositions and proportions. I'm far from the theories. I'm afraid of philosophy. I'm ashamed of nature. I can't string two words together. I won't tell clever stories. I won't give a life lesson. I can't change the world. I can't save mankind. I'm far from the stars. I won't know the cosmos. I won't touch the bottom of the ocean. I won't jump out of a parachute. I won't go to the war. All can I do? I love people. I'm inspired by them. I admire them all. I will listen to their bitterness. I will cry when I see them. I will snuggle in the palm of their hand. I bow to the poor. I kiss their hands. I give myself for others. I know no pain. I won't be afraid. I will be always there. I won't laugh out loud. I'm not ashamed of them. I won't bend. I believe in miracles. I believe in destiny. I know them little, I love them all the same. I will be eternal, I will be in heaven. Uh, my name is Misha Badesan. Before I would say I'm an artist, but now I would like to say uh, I'm a live artist. I don't know, sometimes I, I'm really afraid of the labels because... Um, Labels can give you identity, they can help you, they can really 
move you. They can really give you some, you know, structure in your life. But at the same time, they kind of really also limit you. So and lately, uh, actually, I'm afraid of labels. But before, I would say I'm I'm an alive artist. I'm a food activist, um, I'm animal activist, and I'm a social worker. So like, there's a lot of labels that were like coming with me, and it's I'm enjoying them. But at the same time, I feel like it would be so nice just we all be just humans, and then just telling them like what we're doing. Sometimes if people say like, "Oh, you're an artist," uh, I use the expression, "Not I'm not an artist. I just do art projects." That also helped me to avoid the labels. But anyways, I. I'm Armenian, and um, maybe it sounds really nationalistic now if I would say, but I'm really proud being Armenian because I'm proud having this identity and proud of uh, changing and doing projects in Armenia for Armenia. So it's not people should understand it's not in a nationalist way that I'm Armenian, that like I would like to wear the flag and fight for Armenia, but uh, it's a very important to find your identity and to be this identity, so to speak. I was born and raised in Russia, in Rostov-on-Don. It's in the south part, next to Black Sea, next to Ukraine, in Caucasus. Mm -hmm. And um, for the first time, I came across with my identity when I was 17, when I went to Armenian community to study the language, because my family was spoke mixed, like Russian and Armenian. I went to Russian school, Russian university, so my, my education and socialization is Russian. But when I was 17, I went to the community, you know, because I have these questions. Like, and every time uh, my mom would speak to me Armenian in the bus or public, I would say, no, we have to speak uh, Russian, because there's a lot of big, uh, big uh, topics of racism. Uh, people would say, oh, no, there's no, people will love Caucasian, will love Georgian people, will love Armenian people. Like, um, if you say that uh, publicly, yeah, it's kind of this. But in real life, you face a lot of racism and discrimination. And that's why I was afraid to use Armenian language. And that's why now for me it's important to be Armenian and speak up for Armenia. Uh, because in my childhood and my adult uh, time in, in Russia, I was afraid of that. Then I moved to Germany when I was 20. Um, I applied for uh, socials, it's called like Freiwilliges Soziales Jahr, EVS program and uh, like social volunteer service uh, program. And I went to Dresden for four years. I've been there, I started social work there, and while being there and telling people I'm from Russia, people said, you're Russian, you're not Armenian. So they kind of were taking away from my identity of being Armenian. And if I jump now into nowadays life, when I say to people I'm from Berlin, they say, ah, oh, you're German. So when I speak Hoch, and I speak Hochdeutsch fluently, so people assume I'm German. They would never guess that I'm Armenian from Russia or whatsoever. But anyways, so I studied political science in Russia. Um, I went to university when I was 16, and since I actually am 14 or 15, I've been already political active. And for me, it was important to be a, an activist, but I didn't call myself activist. I just, like, I don't know, I, I would call myself a changer. I felt like I, if I want to see something different, I have to change it myself. I, I don't want to wait for someone. So I went uh, to a center for people with autism, for children with autism. I was volunteering there for three years. Then I became a vegetarian when I was 17. So I was working with the NGOs for human rights. I went to some workshops and in, in, uh, programs to Moscow, different cities. So for me, it was really important to be active. And then I came across with the German programs that the Germany invites volunteers from across the world. You can be a volunteer in Germany. And uh, for two years, I was looking for this program, and I found it, and I went to Dresden for 
for first year and then I started social work three years. So in total, I spent four years in Dresden and then I moved to Berlin. Yeah, and actually during this time, I also became an artist. Exactly, but, I wanted uh, to ask, like, I guess, so in Berlin, you discovered art and you were like, this could be one of the many things I can do. Uh, actually, I discovered it a bit uh, earlier in Dresden. I, I studied social work, but I have different friends, also a lot of artists. And my friend, she told me that uh, the art academy in Dresden, they need models, nude models for uh -huh. students. And uh, she invited me to work there. It was like paid and I was like, okay, cool. I, I need money. And it's a beautiful experience to un undress yourself. And um, so I spent working on this academy for one year. And it's actually, that's, that's the beginning of all these experiences, of all these artistic practices. When you get naked in front of people, that I felt like, okay, that's kind of a therapeutic moment because being gay in Dresden was a bit difficult. Uh, I'm a hairy person and people were really shaming me for my body, that I'm too little, I'm too fat, I'm too hairy. So I was really having a lot of troubles to meet people. I mean, of course I had dates and I was meeting people, but at the same time, like I was, um, I never had boyfriends, never relationships. And in Russia, I never came out to anyone. So for me, it was important to be in this freedom. And I, I expected so much from Dresden. I was like, okay, I will find my boyfriend. I will find my love. I will find everything. And then I came to, to Dresden and I was like, oh, wow, the reality is so, so difficult and so different than I expected. So I faced a lot of body shaming and I need, I really needed this experience when I was getting naked in front of artists, I was students and they were drawing me and it was really beautiful experience of pain also because every time you would stand for two and a half hours, you would sweat, you would, uh, I don't know, you will get uh, blue feet. Uh, it was really exhausting for me every time. And um, I would say, okay, I would never come again. It's so painful. It's so difficult. And, but every week they would call me again and ask me again to come. And uh, I was really like a junkie. <laughs> like I was, okay, I need this, I need this. And while uh, standing uh, naked in front of people, I start recording uh, my experiences. I was writing like a small diary of my body changes, like how I do I feel. And actually I discovered in the end that I'm the artist because I'm giving my love, I'm giving my body, I sweat for them. And um, every time the professor would walk between the students, they would draw me and he would comment on my body, about my muscles. And I felt like like my body is growing, my, my identity is growing. And in the end, I said, like, I'm the artist. And that was the moment when I created this body of pain and how to overcome the pain. And of course, I was inspired by Marina Abramovic, the classic, the yes, classic example. I was just thinking um, that probably that was... One of your yeah, models. Yeah, but I never knew about performance art. I never knew what art is. Uh, to be honest, I mean, of course, I knew some names like, uh, I don't know, Dali, whatever, Picasso. That's what you study in the school. <laughs> but then I went visiting doctor and I sat in the room uh, and I opened the Spiegel magazine. And there was an article about the artist's present. And she described exactly the same what I was going through. How pain is important in art. What does it mean? Body, naked body. <clears throat> and how to overcome the pain and how to embrace the pain. I was like, wow, what she's describing, it's me. <clears throat> and she, she calls performance artists. I'm performance artist. I really like that you kind of by yourself understood that you are an artist or you want to make art. You didn't need like an art institution to tell you that. I think that's like a big discussion of like, why do we actually need art schools? And some people say, because mm -hmm. there is like other artists who kind of direct you in that way. And 
let you find your mm-hmm. art and your expression. And it's um, yeah, super beautiful your story to hear that you actually did it yourself by your environment and that actually yeah maybe we don't need art schools to become artists and maybe everyone can become an artist if they kind of have the feeling for it it's actually just energy with inside of you like uh, or like the drive like what exactly you want what exactly it's it's needed in this moment like what your body says what your mind says what the surrounding says for me that moment was important to be in front of people to uh, use my body to change my body and um And actually, it also was empower- empowerment for me because I don't have any talents. Like, I cannot uh, dance, I cannot, I don't know, create uh, beautiful paintings. Uh, and I'm proud of it. I'm always say like, it's amazing that you don't have any talents and then you can discover your own, you can create something. Actually, that's the, the space and the place where you can discover your own talents, that you, you don't have to be uh, this conventional... Uh, I don't know, artists that's okay, I can beautifully draw this and this. Like, you don't have to jump into this, uh, uh, movements, uh, even though I like some of the movements. Uh, I'm really big fan of abstract art. And, um, but and in the end, if you discover, if you grow and you read more books and you discover how the art world works, all these movements, all these names actually created by the critics, not by the artists. Like, so someone is making them to sell it, to present it. And actually, that makes me more angry. And, um, after, Uh, I started doing performances or projects 2011 or 2023. So after 20, 12 years of doing art and projects, I discovered actually that I'm really skeptical about art system. I'm really skeptical about art. And actually, the, if you call yourself artist, you, it's kind of, you know, having like a big, a big, big flag in your hand. You have to be really responsible what you say, what you do. And uh, being an artist is not just uh, being cute in front of the public or sell your painting or sell your, I don't know, whatever text or your books. Uh, being an artist is like a big statement. It's, um, I don't know, it's a huge, huge responsibility. How you see the world, how you change the world. In the beginning also, maybe I would say also I was doing stuff not really honest in an honest way. Or I was just doing stuff just to do stuff, to connect with people. I mean, it's, it's okay. It's, I don't, I don't mean like, oh, we have to be always like 100%, uh, I don't know, uh, I don't know, fair and honest and this and that. I mean, we still live in society. We still have to, you know, navigate in a society, in an art world. We have to still meet the creators. We still have to, have to go to galleries. We still have to do these meetings. So I understand that it's difficult to live in society and be completely like honest and completely I don't know, like authentic, but I think the, it's the biggest goal for art, for the artists, like to stay authentic and to stick to your concept. That's why um, after doing so many years of art projects, I decided to ha- find a job and my, have my own money and to be independent. That's really important for me. I'm a social worker since nine years. Uh, I, I started social work, so it, it gave me opportunity to find a cool job and to have like a good salary. And um, I've been working with refugees in Berlin uh, in the shelters when 2015-16, when the the Syrian wave came first, I was in Tempelhof and taking care of thousands of uh, refugees. Then I started working, I was I used to work with the young refugees. Then I used to work three years for queer, only LGBT refugees. It, was, it used to be the first LGBT shelter in the whole Europe. Mm-hmm. Now we have more of that in Europe. Then I moved to another shelter and in the end I got a job in Zurich and I moved to Zurich to also work with refugees. Exactly, so I wanted to now uh, speak more specifically about your project so people can get an idea 
what you're busy mm-hmm. with. And there's, as you said, there was some projects that were more broadly covered by media, especially your long duration performances. From what I know, you did mm-hmm. two of those uh, where you devoted your whole year to a single project where you performed something once a day. Of course, uh, it's a very specific type of uh, art and performance which thrives on like this repetition and on like building up for 365 days. Um, um, actually, I did uh, six of them. It's not six only two. of them. Okay, I yeah, just... Yeah, yeah. All right. Yeah, because uh, so six when I start doing this... One exactly. year per- Crazy, okay. I only know about two, so please. Yeah, because that, yeah. um, So, uh, long duration performances is uh, is not my type of art. I mean, I didn't discover that. I also got inspired by Taiwanese artists, stage and scene, and by some other artists who spend their life and um, like doing art. And um, I really like this. uh, First, what I like about this is the amount of time. Like, one year, it's really like you can feel the life. Like, it's really, it takes really one part of your life out or basically you change your life and that's really for me beautiful this uh, mix like when when the life ends when the art starts when this art starts when the life ends it's difficult and um, you have to be ready for that when i said first ones um they're not on the news i mean people know about them but it's not like so big because there were some video recording performances or photo or just uh, diaries and stuff. But when I was doing like this, the two big projects that you mentioned, uh, they were more public because I was in touch with people. So it was not only about me and mm, recording or writing about myself. gesture of yeah. every day. Mm-hmm. But um, Save the Date, that's the name of the uh, the biggest project so far. Um, uh, actually, I still, <laughs> I mean, now we're talking about this, but even every time people remind me, remember me by this project and uh, i mean it's nice to have like kind of you know the the golden uh, the golden memory that people always know and will remember me but still like uh, i wish to to do something more <laughs> that people you don't want to like, be remembered only by that i guess exactly right like because it's hit, also a very uh, specific hit. project i would say very like uh, yeah I guess also that's why yes. it's it's out there because it speaks about all the things that are kind of taboo and save the date. Yeah, that's a project about my loneliness, but actually about loneliness in the gay community itself. Uh, my idea was to create a living installation, like that my body will create this installation of loneliness, because. Um, being in a gay community in Berlin, having a lot of sex, meeting people, going to cruising areas, uh, made me. Lonely made me sad, made me, I would say, depressed. And I want to share this. And actually, I was like, maybe like I'm not the only one. And um, and I wanted to share these emotions. And I de- decided what basically actually gay people do. As they, they told me in Berlin, like, okay, just let's have fun and meet people and uh, share my body with someone else every day uh, with a stranger. So my goal was to meet 365 days in a row every day someone knew. I'm not allowed to meet a second time the same person. And actually, in the beginning, my plan was to make a nice date. So not only like sex date, but also meet people, uh, you know, spend some time and uh, really be honest with someone. But uh, uh, since it's life and since it's uh, like a reality, <laughs> you cannot really navigate, you cannot really like give the give the direction by yourself. Like really, it's uh, about it's how, life, how right? Yeah. You know, 
yeah, people react to you. Like, so that's why I actually like this performance arts because you, as a real artist, you have to really, you know, be ready for everything and mistakes are part of it. Or actually mistake is the most beautiful part of doing art. In the beginning, I was not telling people that it's an art project. I'm just meeting them because I like them. I want to meet them. But after one month, of course, all news were about this project. Everyone knew me. So I was not safe even in dark rooms and the clubs because they would say, ah, oh, you're the artist who does this project. And then I got actually request requests to meet me. There were some people that tra traveling to Berlin to meet me. One guy from LA, he was an art student and he did a dance piece uh, based on my project. And he he came to Berlin to visit me or to have a date with me. Crazy. Some other artists from Berlin. This is really the the biggest and the hard, hardest piece I have done because... Um, I didn't know that it would so it would be so hard mentally. I mean, physically, I was really uh, stable, and I never had STIs in my life, and I was really safe. But mentally, it was really hardcore, and uh, there were a lot of topics like uh, also violence, uh, violence and conversation. Because when I was uh, approaching people on online, actually, I stopped writing people online after three months because it took took me five or up five to six hours to find a date every day. And had a job. I had, I was studying in the beginning of this project, and the end of the project I was just working. So like I had to navigate my life. And so stressful, right? That you it's a project, so you have to do it once a day, right? So you have to find another person yeah. to go out to. Yeah, and every time, like it's it's uh, so it, time 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 wise, and also like logistics, it's one part, but also mentally, because people would say also I faced a lot of hate speech. Um, actually, I, I was really surprised that the gay community was divided. Half of them were admiring me and supporting me because they felt the same way. Half of them were hating me, saying like, oh, what the fuck is this? Like, how dare you speak about... It's homophobic to say that the gay people are lonely. It's a cliche. But I was sorry, I'm sorry, I'm not a cliche. I'm a real person. <laughs> I'm not going through this. So why I'm not allowed to speak about my emotions and my feelings? So there were actually there were a lot of topics, and I was writing a blog. Uh, I was working with some projects and communities. I was speaking about like uh, having sex with people with HIV, having sex with trans people. So I used actually this project to make more political discussions, and uh, it was always like a boom. It was really like every interview was another flame of hate or or support. I got support from so many women. I was really surprised. Because I made one blog and one uh, topic I opened up about crying while having sex. I discovered, I, I, for me, it was really a huge discovery that people cried during the sex. I was crying during, during the sex. And I, I made a blog and um, uh, about this issue. And I was surprised that gay people never faced that and never had it. But the woman the opposite. So I got so many letters from from New Zealand, from Australia, from Europe. Like uh, also some guys wrote me also messages. Like guy from Saint Petersburg wrote me message. Like thank you so much for sharing this topic because I feel so lonely. I got recently HIV and I I don't know how to speak to. Like once I read about you you and your project, I felt like okay you can help me. So it was really like I don't know. I felt like this year it was like ten years of my life compressed in one. It's uh, yeah wonderful to. To hear how much you like, 
I feel that it was a lot like this this project and then you discovered so much about yeah yourself and as an artist and that it brought you farther. Uh, there's so much we could cover, but I have a lot on my list. So uh, if you yes. could if you could now uh, do like a quite a radical jump to a very different project, uh, the second long duration performance that was also big and quiet in the public. So out of the six you did, the second one, uh, don't waste. Exactly. It's my last uh, long duration performance piece that I'm also happy about. And actually, I'm a, uh, it was also news. I was also an art in different media, but actually it get less uh, support and less cover covered. And I was because like, it wasn't hmm, about sex, in interesting. right? That's the exactly. thing. Exactly. I was like, sex <laughs> I was like, uh, what the fuck? Like the climate change, uh, there's a lot of hunger, people dying every day because they don't have anything to eat. And I was like, why don't we speak about this? Yeah, Don't Voice is uh, kind of also my expression of uh, what I just mentioned, like that there's a lot of stuff to change. But also because uh, since nine years, I've, I'm volunteer for a food sharing project uh, for people who doesn't who don't know this uh, initiative. It's really amazing idea that we have to save food at supermarkets, uh, cafes, restaurants, bakeries uh, throw just every day uh, tons of that uh, in, a, in a bin, in a rubbish bin and and got wasted. I came across with the, with this project by my friend. He just shared the Facebook link that someone mentioned, hey, we have so much bread, just pick it up. And then I was like, oh, wait a minute, there's so much waste. Like, okay, we can have free food. I was a student. So I was like, cool, nice. We can also save money. And then I became really active. And um, now, by now, uh, there's a statistic on the website. If you have a profile, you can you can see what, how much food you saved and what you do, where you go. And uh, you can meet also communities, some people, there's some forums. So on, on my account now, on the, on the page officially, I saved over like 60, I don't, I don't know, 16 or 17 tons of food. Only me as a person, one person. So again, uh, every day uh, you... Performed. Exactly. Me as a Misha Badassan, I will stop buying food by September 2021 till September 2022. So I'm not allowed, I was not allowed to go to the restaurants, cafes. I was not allowed, allowed to do anything. Or, or, uh, apart, of course, if some of my friends cook at home and invite me or someone invites me, there, there were some exceptions, of course, when they go to someone. I mean, that's difficult. And that's actually, that's a topic that also became for me then crystallized and then and also interesting, like that food is actually the biggest ritual in our life. Like how food connects us, that food is the biggest, actually, the, it's even more universal than English. Like it's the biggest uh, hmm. language in the world Indeed. that we can talk to each other just by, by eating with that's each other. That's why my podcast is also called Kitchen Conversations. So we can all talk to each other without even any obstacles. And um, so Don Waze became also political. Uh, I had also a job, so basically after my job I have to save the food and it was a lot, always a lot of food and um, and I started using it also as an opportunity to give a workshop, to make um, lectures. I had my uh, collective political kitchen, so we worked together all the time and um, all the food I was saving I was giving to the shelters for homeless people, I was giving to refugees, I was giving to neighbors. Uh, also I discovered that many of my friends... It was post-corona times that many of my friends don't have even food, they don't have even enough money to survive. I was like shocked, like, it's Berlin, like, and what's going on? But 
Mm, so many people approached me and said, hey, Misha, can you help me, please? So basically, I was feeding my friends. And uh, also, every time I would go to save food, I would ask friends to help me. So it was kind of even collective work. So um, that will, someone will join me and then bring food. A friend of mine, Jennifer, she would uh, cover my Saturdays, uh, uh, saving, uh, we called like a Saturday's trips, like she took a car and we went to five, six different places uh, to save food and then distribute this food. So it was a really, really, uh, for me, uh, difficult um, and really also time-consuming project. I would say actually time-wise and logistic-wise, it's even more difficult than save the date. Uh, I was really, I had also the back pain and it was really hard. From carrying but, all uh, the things, right? Yeah, yeah, for caring, but also logistics. You know, you have to really talk to people who is coming, who is picking up the food, who is going there, who is going there. So it was really a lot of communication. But at the same time, uh, I was really happy because um, I, I actually I always call food sharing as uh, the best drug. Like it's uh, the best option uh, portion of dopamine. Like every time if you have give to food to people, I see happy faces. I, I see that someone is not starving, literally not starving. I don't even exaggerate. Uh, then I was like, okay, I'm I'm the most happy person on this planet. I guess once like someone reads about your project and the whole idea of it that you want buy stuff, you will just collect. The first worry is like, will you find enough food, right? But then from what you say, you had so much, you had an abundance of food that you actually like gave it to others because there's so much food that is being otherwise wasted. I had the troubles to give it away, to find quickly someone so to give it away. So too much. You some... almost had to look for people yeah. who could. And this is so exactly. such an irony because there's so, so much people who do not have food, as you say, and are starving. And Sometimes, you know, people feel or think, okay, yeah, it's a topic, but we have enough, enough, enough topics. We have too many topics to speak about. But for me, it's actually, we have to change this perception of food that is not, if we speak about food appreciation, that's a, like, it's something simple that everyone can do. That's what I actually, my projects wanted to, you know, to achieve, to tell people, hey, it's not so difficult to be an activist. It's not so difficult to save the planet. It's not so difficult to change your life. Like I, I wrote a, um, a fridge manifesto. It's about like how you can become a food activist just by cleaning your fridge. Like in, at my work office, I always did the clean up Fridays. Like we're not, we're not allowed to leave the office before the whole fridge is empty. And it's so simple. I mean, it's not so difficult, but we don't really get that food waste. It's a huge topic. It's, it's worse than flying. It's worse than fashion. It's worse than anything else. It's a really huge topic. And since we are so privileged and since we are living in a communi uh, communist, in a capitalist society, <laughs> since we have this surplus, people don't even get that we can really be short on money, short on food. And actually that food that, you know, you have to produce one pumpkin and it's not like you can just throw it away because it's like water. There's so much energy. There's so much people's hands in, inside of that. And um, I'm, I'm still fighting for that. I'm still really, I'm, I'm doing food sharing also in, in Zurich and uh, still support uh, food sharing. I still uh, like to, you know, to inspire other people. My colleague at work also started doing food sharing. So I'm trying to spread this my community. Also trying to build my, my sector. <laughs> So super, just like here and exactly super important and as you say like in small gestures you can do so much I hope people will take from it 
that uh, let's look inside our fridges and like not waste uh, stuff there. I think it's a first step. It applies also to different topics. I mean, uh, not only if someone interested in different topics, also you shouldn't change the world to, you know, because some I, I notice people feel so depressed and sad because they, they cannot change the world. They cannot change the leaders. They cannot change the political systems, but you can change yourself. You can change I mean, I know it sounds really maybe too easy or too simple, but at the same time, there's nothing else. <laughs> there's no other ways. I mean, that's the, that's the whole... Start small, I don't know, indeed. Like, yeah, that's the whole knowledge that we have. Like, you can change something from yourself and then inspire other people, then small other people, and that's it. There's no other way around. You cannot go for revolution. You cannot go tomorrow uh, to Bundestag and, I don't know, change the whole parties there. I believe in that as well. Food is part of your art, not only in this long duration performance, but it's still coming back. Yeah. Uh, and maybe through that we can do a little link uh, back to Armenia and the political situation yes. there. Quite recently uh, you did uh, another performance uh, using your body and bread uh, in Zurich. So that was, I think, your one of your first... My first, yes. ...projects yes, well, uh, in your new home. Stop the blockade. Open the road, yes. That was the, to uh, the title of the performance. To be honest, uh, it took me some time to, to make... Uh, to make uh, any art piece in Switzerland. Um, my approach is always to first see and feel the context, uh, meet artists, um, to understand like how is it going, what exactly the art system is there, like how the people think, what's the topic in the society. But when the whole situation happened in Armenia, then I felt like I have to do something. That's actually... Um, also part of being an artist. I don't know how the other artists get inspired and how the other artists react to reality, but that's my always approach. Like uh, As an artist, it's not enough to make a, a story on Instagram, it's not enough to make a post on Facebook, it's not enough to blame others, it's not enough to cry. The right decision for me and as an artist to go out. And so uh, since I do food sharing, I have access to food, And um, uh, people in Artsakh and Nagorno-Karabakh, they were under the blockade since nine months. There was shortage on food, any supplies, uh, there was hunger. And, uh, and I felt like how I can make this expression not banal, not uh, too placative and too simple, but at the same time strong. And I felt like, okay, maybe I have to put myself in a cage. Maybe I have to put the cage with the bread. So there were some ideas first um, in my mind. And then I felt like, Okay, but uh, they have to understand if I just put the bread in a cage, that like, yeah, it's nice installation, but it's not so strong. And then I decided, okay, fuck it. I just put myself in and I cover myself with the bread and would make the, 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 the installation. I was standing in, it was Helvetia Platz. It's quite famous uh, square, uh, square here. A lot of uh, manifestations, a lot of demonstrations and actions happening there. So now that was easy for me to find this spot. And uh, so I went there, I was collecting food for three days, uh, bread. And um, and I, I didn't do any kind of rehearsals. I just, we just made this net at home with my friends and I went there and I just, you know, I just did as it went. I put bread all, all the way inside and I was standing for one and a half hours. And actually it was hard for me to stay because all the bread was pressing down on my feet. So it was really difficult to stay and also to find a stability. And it was really beautiful performance. First, because like it's my first uh, 
performance business in Switzerland. I didn't know how to talk to Swiss public, and it was nice for me like to like to discover this moment. But second, also how it, uh, to see the beauty how art can speak to the public. It's like, uh, always and always and for me it's amazing and beautiful uh, when they saw the sign of mine and this beautiful installation. First they were confused and they were like really curious because it looks beautiful, it looks. Uh, outstanding for them and they, uh, they approached me and they were talking to me so basically I became like kind of speaking uh, I don't know speaking TV or don't know, speaking radio to people they were asking uh, where's Armenia like what's Karabakh what's the conflict and uh, in the beginning I was really pissed I was all like fuck it like don't you read the news like why don't you know Armenia I was really angry but at the same time I was like okay but why they should know that I mean there, there's so many conflicts in this world there's so many fights there's so many wars and so many people dying every day we always forget yeah. about Sudan we forget about Yemen we forget about Congo there's it's so many stuff so that it's not in the media doesn't mean it doesn't happen right and similar I guess to Armenia yeah. it was in September 2023 uh, a few months yeah. ago it was yeah for a few weeks in the media and then and yeah then we don't hear it anymore about Palestine. yeah and then Palestine Israel exactly a new story so and then, and then I, I put myself together and I was like okay Michelle like, it's fine people don't know it then it's your task to explain and uh, I had really nice conversations they were a nice big family from Eritrea they were also refugees there was two guys like father and I think uncle the brother of him and then three children and the father told him go and read the story and then they read the text and they talked to me like they said you have to know this story because like you were also refugees you were also escaped and I was like wow that's most beautiful and then one of the ladies uh, she came to to me she because the, the, the text the sign was on my face kind of uh, covered my face and um, she read the story, she read the text, she came to me, she touched me from, I don't know, from the other side, I don't know how, but I felt the touch. She, she touched me and she just went away. I was like, that's the most beautiful gesture of support and love. Like that she read this, she understood and she gave me support. Like, and that's why I really love art. That's why I always get emotional. That's why I always will continue doing this because that's, that's the most beautiful tool to speak to to sorrow, to feel the pain, like uh, art, I think it's beautiful, um, I don't know, instrument, how you can, you know, express yourself. And I always feel like when uh, I did some other performances and piece, art pieces about Ar Armenia or Armenian topics, and I always find important not just to share photos of blood and crying children, but just do art project and then to achieve this level of... Uh, Quality of this, uh, the photo of the bread installation was all over the news also and uh, on Armenian TV even. I didn't even know that they just were, they asked me also for interviews, but I didn't know like who is this. I was really confused like what's going on. So How there was quick like the thousands of spreads, shares. right? Like the visual, I mean, the yeah, visual yeah. of you standing there wrapped in bread is, yeah, very, very iconic, I would say. So I think that worked well with this like, time we are that right now that images just like catch on to us so quickly can you just yeah. uh, tell why did you decide to use bread like the i would say the the simplest food mm -hmm. to speak about uh, the conflict in uh, nagorno-karabakh i used used to work with bread a lot and uh, with political kitchen we did some installations and workshops about bread um we were speaking also when we did workshops with children or young people or with anyone 
we were always using bread as a really the most simple, as you mentioned, but at the same time the most universal uh, product. Or I I cannot even call it product because for me bread is something I don't know. It's something that gives you life. Yeah, it's kind maybe of like a life. nourishing substance. Yeah, because. Uh, Exactly. And the bread is also, it's in all cultures. You can find the bread in all uh, cities, in all countries. Uh, you can, I mean, they have different forms, different uh, ingredients. But at the same time, bread is what people keep alive. And uh, so basically, that's what's for me important also, to keep it alive. To give a sign like it's a sign of life, to be honest. Like, so I kind of, I... Uh, and also in, in Nagorno-Karabakh, uh, there was also really a shortage of bread. So basically, people didn't have the bread. So it was literally also about this conflict and about the situation. Can you tell a little bit uh, from for, from what your media channels? Because as, as we just said, like unfortunately, it's not anymore in the global news. Uh, what is happening at the moment uh, in this region? And what's the situation at the moment? Nowadays, there's a lot of uh, meetings uh, between Armenia, Azerbaijan, and some mediators as uh, Europe, Russia, United States, sometimes Turkey. Uh, we're trying to make a peace agreement that we were trying to do for the last 30 years. Um, I'm actually, to be honest, I'm really happy that we can find a peace. I'm always for the peace and always for dialogue. Because the wars and all these conflicts that don't help anyone, it just gives us traumas, a lot of uh, depression, a lot of lost children, death, yeah. and um, yeah, a lot of death. It's really difficult, and uh, you cannot keep up with this. So, like it, it's so tiring, it's so it's uh, really annoying. And also for art and uh, culture, you cannot then create art that not speak about this. That's actually interesting. Like then, like how the artist then. Yeah, I mean, within Armenia or maybe also Azerbaijan, like the, I mean, you cannot do anything else but not speaking about this topic, and uh, like I, I don't want also that art will be led by these conflicts. I don't want the art kind of affects by that. I mean, of course, of course, it, it should be, but I wish that the art can be also free of that kind of. Um, but anyways, uh, Artsakh now is without Armenians, so. The Armenian population that used to live there for 3,000 years now left. Over 100,000 people left. I also met some people in Yerevan when I was there. Uh, there's a lot of support and help, but um, I feel it's kind of not enough. And I feel like also we became kind of victim of this geopolitics games that now Armenia not important for anyone. It's really like f funny even like to understand like how the politics works. Like I was, I was like, really? Like that's what you need like to to fight for human rights, to fight for life, for peace, like uh, that you need some some certain amount of oil and gas, then you're important, then you... I mean, of course, I understand my, my rational brain understand this, like, and I know this, yeah, I mean, if you don't have anything, then you don't, you're not important for the, for the world. It's clear, and you don't, you don't have to be even, like, pathetic about this. You mean in, this. in terms of but, resources or... Uh, yeah, yeah, but at the same time, like, I feel, like, still disgust, like, how the politics, how the all this surroundings like, works, and I know... And I really feel like I want—I don't want to be part of that. To be honest, like um, I mean, not only, but because of that, I feel always really connected to my animal activism. Since two years, I became really active and became a real uh, animal activist. So I went now to Armenia, actually second time in this year, to sign a contract for buying a land from an animal shelter. 
We found wow. a beautiful piece of piece of land uh, next to Ararat Mountain. It's a really beautiful and very important mountain for all Armenians in the world. And it's a land that has also apricot trees and some other trees. So we would have nice garden. We have nice piece of land, almost one hectare, uh, to build up our animal shelter. And actually, uh, we're trying to make something different. Uh, since I'm an artist, I would like to make art residency there. And people can visit us, stay with us, do some art and take care of animals. So it's kind of animal art residency. I think it's a nice uh, place to round up our conversation. But uh, last uh, and definitely not least, uh, I wanted to speak about food. We spoke a lot about food today, but uh, mm -hmm. Kitchen Conversations is always finalized by speaking about favorite food from home. So like a dish mm -hmm. or like a, yeah, like a food that you like making when you're a little bit under the weather or sad or just need some care from home wherever home is for you also when uh, to be honest when i always go to armenia i i kind of like become a like, food junkie i feel like that's so tasty i want to eat everything <laughs> and i uh, discovered a beautiful food court uh, called sas in also in the city center And food, usually if you say food court, you feel like, okay, what is this? It's just like a junk food or kind of like fast food. But actually in that food court or in general in Armenia, all food places, you, it's so tasty. And the quality of food is amazing. So basically in that food court, I go to the section of homemade made food. And I find like all the stuff that my mom used to do, or all Armenian dishes, like with this different... Um, Uh, herbs that I don't even know it. Like uh, you, you also mentioned in the questionnaire about aveluk. It's a very beautiful uh, and tasty uh, herbs from the mountains. Yeah. And if you you can make a salad of it, you can make a, you can fry them with eggs. You can do soups with this. And I was like, oh my god, Armenia has so much. And uh, it's a little country. Some, there's some not so much sp space, but actually there's so much. Um, food you can discover and then actually so I really run always for the homey food um, I like uh, soups I really miss soups in, uh, in Russia we used to in Armenia we used always to eat like first uh, soup and then second dish and we That's don't have this similar to so much uh, yeah yeah total in Poland we always eat like soup first and then the second oh course. my god it's such yeah, a so I love I'm, soups they make you so like warm and so yes, cozy exactly And you feel like, okay, it's healthy, it's uh, giving you nutrition, you feel like, okay, I, I did something good for my body. So I really love soups and I miss, I, I don't know why I don't do soups here. I don't know, Europe kind of killed all these uh, skills of mine or emotions to make soups. But when I go uh, home or I go to Armenia or go to places that uh, kind of soup friendly places, always I eat soups. Every time I go anywhere, I eat soups. Like it's veggie so nice. soups, Where right? I, Veggie soups. Veggie soups, bean soups. In Armenia, we have a yogurt soup called spas. That's also really like it's vegetarian. Uh, nice soup. It's like by, by, by default vegetarian. It's not specific meat. And also, I love a lot. My favorite food in Armenia is jingalov hat. It's actually a dish from Karabakh. It's very famous. We have um, refugees from Karabakh that came to Armenia, opened a lot of restaurants and places now. It's actually, a, it's, um, if you can compare it to maybe like Gözlemir, Turkish one, kind of similar, but it's only herbs, like seven different herbs from mountains should be mixed inside of this. Like, so it's kind of pita bread, like covered one, and uh, just just uh, green stuff inside. And so then like most vegan food. fried. 
Yeah, fried. Yeah, fried warm, warm meat. Warm and it's uh, the most healthy one because it's not fat. It's most uh, vegan one because just herbs and bread. So I find like that's a universal dish that everyone can eat without even like I don't know any troubles to ask or whatever. Amazing! Sounds uh, sounds delicious. And you should come to Armenia, please. Um, we bought this piece of land and we want to make a community space and open animal shelter and art residences. And my uh, goal is also uh, make made a presentation called Animal Trips to Armenia. I would love to bring people to Armenia, to my shelter, that people can stay there, chill there and discover beautiful places, but also volunteer for animals. Definitely, yeah. I would love to visit. And I will, uh, of course, link uh, all your projects. I think you're the most active on Instagram. You're like uh, very yeah. thorough with like reporting on all your activities and projects. I think that's the best overview of your work. So people can yeah. kind of follow mm -hmm. what you do. And also all the projects that we didn't cover today. Of course, there's much more uh, people can check out. And uh, yeah write to you. I think you're super accessible and uh, easy to yes, communicate with, right? Thank you so much, uh, Misha, for the conversation. Thanks uh, for having me. Yeah, maybe we see each other one day live in Berlin. Yes, let's do it. <laughs> be cool. And this was it for today. Thank you for reaching till the end of this podcast episode. The next one is coming in four weeks, always on Monday. Please follow the podcast and leave a rating if you're listening on Spotify. There is two ways you can support the further development of this platform. Number one is to buy the Kitchen Conversations cookbook, Homey Recipes from Artists, that features uh, home dishes from the first 17 guests who appeared on the podcast. And number two is to become a patron of Kitchen Conversations and support uh, this platform with an amount of your choice that starts with $2.50 per month. More info you can find on patreon.com slash kitchen conversations. In the meantime, take good care and we hear each other soon.